So let's talk about this characteristic of God. We've spoken of others in prior weeks. We spoke about his omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence. And tonight, his immutability, his unalterability. And this is still yet another one of his characteristics which distinguishes him from all the rest of us. It sets the creator apart from all of his creatures. You see, we as his creatures are always becoming but our creator is simply always being, not becoming. In fact, there was a time, you recall this, when God decided, for reasons unknown to us, to choose Moses as his representative and as the one who would be used by God to deliver ancient Israel from bondage in Egypt. And you know, at best, Moses was a very reluctant deliverer. Don't you love the Bible, how honest it is? I really can relate to the people in the Bible. I'm a reluctant witness, and so are you, but God will use us anyway. And Moses even said, he had lots of excuses. In so many words, he said to God, well, wait just a second. Who am I that the people should listen to me? And not only that, who exactly should I tell them sent me? If you could just tell me what your name is, then when, if and when, I go to them, I could say, it isn't just me, it is, you see, then I'll mention your name, almighty God, and perhaps that will give me some credibility. So that was the conversation Moses was having with God, and God responded to him. You'd think he'd smack him, but he really didn't. He just spoke to him because he's quite patient with us, you know. And so in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God said, Moses, you tell them I am who I am. Moses, tell them I am sent you. And I have to tell you, you could read it so fast that you miss what's going on there. You know what God is saying? He's saying, here's my name. It's Yahweh. And Yahweh is the verb or from the verb to be. He was linking his name with a verb, the verb to be. He was saying, you simply tell them my name is I am. Could I tell you something? He's the only one who could claim that designation. You can't, neither can I, without committing blasphemy. I'll tell you what you could say and I could say. I could say, I am whom I have become. That's legitimate. You and I, we, we could say, I am what my life's circumstances have caused me to be. You could even say, I am the product of the genetic endowment which I have received from my parents. That's all legitimate. But you dare not say, only God could, I am because that means he simply are. He doesn't become, he is. His is a state of being. Ours is a state of becoming. God is unalterable, though you and I are very alterable. We were born. Everyone here has that in common. I really know this. 
Everyone was born, and immediately from the time of our birth, we began to participate, even though we didn't even know it, in the process of becoming. But that is not true of God. He eternally pre-existed. He has no beginning nor any end, so there isn't the birth and the process of becoming, which applies to us and applies to God. He's different. He and he alone could say, I is and evermore shall be, (laughs) but you are becoming. So you see, God cannot change. You know what's required for change to take place? Time. But God is not subject to it. He exists outside of it. We spoke about this earlier on. He's given us time and space. It's a very comfortable environment in which for us to live and breathe. We need time and space. But God simply uses these as instrumentalities. They're at his beck and call. And therefore, since he is not subject to time, time cannot cause him to change because he caused time. Time doesn't cause him to do anything. He caused time. Therefore, God cannot grow. He cannot improve. He is not subject to a process of development nor aging. God cannot change for the better because he's already perfect. And God cannot change for the worse because if he did, he would no longer be perfect. You say he cannot change. There is no increase, nor is there any decrease in his being. You see, if God increased, it meant he was incomplete. And if God decreases, it means he is now incomplete. But that can't be the case with almighty, perfect God. If you think about this, you have, as have I, made certain decisions and then later changed our minds. I mean, the expression is quite common to us. I changed my mind. Oh, I see you changed your mind. And it occurred to me, two of the reasons why we most frequently change our mind is quite understanding. is because we have limited knowledge and limited power. You see, we make a decision with our mind to do a particular thing, and then we proceed through time a little closer to the decision and find uh, that we are now privy to new information, which when factored into our decision causes us to change our mind. You see, when we made the original decision, we did so with limited information. Or you get up to the point of decision and find out you can't bring it to pass because, uh, though maybe you have full knowledge, you have Uh, unfull, limited power. So limited knowledge and limited power is what causes us to have to change our mind. But God never has to change his mind because as we proved in prior weeks, he doesn't have limited knowledge. He's omniscient. And he doesn't have limited power. He's omni-all. He's all-powerful, you see? I know this is the case. David the psalmist told me. And you, Psalm 33, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. He never has to change his mind. But I know what some of the astute Bible students out there are saying. Wait, I know of some passages in the Bible, which at least on the surface seem to indicate that God, in fact, did change his mind. So let's address those head on. Would you look at Genesis chapter 6, 
verse 6. Let's just do one or two verses as a sampling of uh, what causes people to think that God does change his mind. Here's one, Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. Easy to find, first book of the Bible. Just get past the table of contents and you're there. Genesis 6, 6, who wrote this? Yeah, Moses did. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the implication there is God made a decision to create man only later to find out more information about man. He found out disappointing things about man. He found out that man's response to him was not what he expected it to be. In fact, man was unholy, rebellious, and disobedient. And now that God has full knowledge, he really, upon further consideration, became sorry uh, that he made the decision to create man to begin with. No. You see, folks, this is the language of accommodation. You know, let's not fool ourselves for one minute to think that we can comprehend an incomprehensible infinite God with our puny finite minds. So he's very, very good. He's reduced his ways to our vocabulary. So we use the term here, God was sorry. But don't think for one moment it's because an omniscient God was suddenly surprised by man's rebellious response. I tell you, he saw it coming from before time because, remember, he's not subject to time. So he didn't see it coming and then change his mind about it. No, this is just the language of accommodation designed to show us how sin affects Almighty God. It's a powerful verse. God is not unaffected by our sinful behavior. It shows us that though God does not change, he still feels. It hurts him. When we sin. So his unchangeableness does not mean for one moment he has no emotional response to man's choices. And that's what this verse is demonstrating. It's not calling into question his immutability. It's just saying he feels he has an emotional response to that which man does, contrary to his will. Well, there's another passage a little more lengthy. It's just one book over Exodus. So this is easy tonight, right? I mean, we're not looking for Habakkuk or anything. Those are like real challenges. It's in there somewhere. But Exodus is just the neighbor to the right of Genesis. Can you, can you take a look at Exodus 32? This is a little more lengthy, but, uh, but I think uh, you'll find it interesting. If you, you bear with me, we'll, we'll let me read it to you when you get there. Exodus 32, uh, verses 9 to 14. Who wrote this book? Yeah, Moses again. There you go. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. What ethnic, what what people are we talking about? Yeah, the Jews. There we go again. (laughs) I have seen this people and behold, they are an... That's got to be a misprint. (laughs) An obstinate people. Wow. Now then, let me alone. God says this to Moses. Now then, let me alone that, I, that, that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. Could you handle that offer? Pretty tempting. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, Oh, Lord, why does your anger burn against your people? Look at that possessive pronoun. Whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. 
Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. You know what Moses was saying? God, our mission statement is to be living proof of the fact that you are a loving God to a watching Egyptian world. Really, really, that's what he was saying. And if you wipe them out, you won't look very loving to the Egyptians. You'll take away living proof. That's essentially what he's saying. Moses read our, our statement. So it goes on, turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Jake, and Israel. Oh, God loves to be uh, reminded of his promises in the word. Your servants to whom you did swear by yourself and did say to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heavens. And all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it. What is the next word in your Bible? Yeah, that's really important because there's a whole movement that says Israel has no longer any right to the land. You know, like, you got to get rid of forever if you want to go that way. You see, forever means forever. Okay, So, 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 so get this. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. So this really looks like what I've been telling you is not true and that God really does change his mind. No. Here's what happened. Moses prayed. An intercessor stood in the, in the gap, stood in the middle <laughs> of adversarial parties, one of whom is God and the other, the disobedient ancient Israelites. Moses prayed on behalf of them to Almighty God. And in response, it appears that God changed his mind about what he planned to do to them. But this is not actually the case. It only appears that way. What really happened is that when God answered Moses' prayer, he wasn't changing his plans. He was carrying them out through the instrumentality of Moses' prayer. Don't think your praying is unimportant. So here's the deal. If God now became privy to new information which Moses provided him and then changed his mind, it really would look like God is limited And does change his mind. But if in fact this is not new to God. But that from before time he saw this coming. He knew these Israelites who he chose and entered into covenant with. Would turn against him. Be stiff necked and obstinate just as it said. He knew that Moses would be the chosen deliverer. And be put to the test. And he knew that Moses would intercede on behalf of the people. Whom God never planned to destroy and divorce himself from. To begin with, that always was his immutable plan and purpose for Israel from before time. And it was manifested through the intercessory prayer of Moses. Folks, if this response on God's part was a new idea in his mind, yeah, then he's changeable. But I tell you, it wasn't a new idea to him at all. That God, you see, is changeable in his relations to his creatures doesn't mean that he is changeable with regard to his nature or purposes. This was always God's purpose with regard to Israel from before time. He didn't change his mind about it. It was affected through Moses' intercessory prayer. So we, for instance, think about us. Were we not, who are now Christians, were we not at one time God's enemies and adversaries? And now, thank God, by grace, We are his friends. He is our father. He's Abba to us. We're adopted into his family. 
Did God change his mind? Not really. You see, all this is part of God's unchangeable, eternal purpose towards those who would be redeemed by faith in his son. So you see, you can't say that God changed his mind in the sense that we do when we come into new information. The unchangeableness of God, you see, does not mean there is no change in the outworking of his plans. For instance, hasn't God changed from the old covenant to the new covenant? (laughs) But this is part of his progressive purpose and promise. This is the unfolding of his plan. Well, that being said, what does the unchangeableness of God in a practical sense mean to you and me? Well, simply put, it means we have someone we can depend on. Who else can you? We have someone we can depend on. Uh, but, but, But even this brings with it a kind of a negative and a positive aspect. For instance, here's the negative side of God's dependability. God can be depended upon to judge sin and sinners. Ooh, that's not too good. I mean, you can count on it, folks. He said he would do it. He is doing it and will continue to do it. But here's the positive side of God's unchangeable dependability. As he will follow through with his promise of judgment, so too he will follow through with his promise of salvation. Wishful thinking? Oh, no. A deep assurance and conviction based on the unchangeable character of the God who saved us. His name is Jesus Christ, by the way. And Hebrews 13 tells us he, Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Last week, we discussed a passage written by Paul in Romans 8. I want to share it with you briefly just again. For I am convinced says Paul, that neither, and then he mentions 10 things, death and life and angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, no, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know why he could say that? Because the one who's saved doesn't change. What about folks who really struggle with the the security of their position in Christ? Eternal security. What about those? Well, those are folks who say you can forfeit or lose your salvation by by doing something. But if you think that, you are in essence saying that you can make God change his mind about you. You can make God change his mind about what he has already done for you. No, you can't. Because your nature cannot overcome his nature. So if you have had at a point in your life an encounter with Jesus as your personal savior, he is from that point on now and forevermore your savior because he's immutable. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You are alterable sometimes in a good direction, sometimes in a bad direction, and that's the problem. You think because you're alterable, so too is God, which means you are trying to conform God to you and your image. No, it's the opposite. He's conforming us to his image. So the basis of our eternal safeness (laughs) has nothing to do with you or me. It's that one-time encounter with Jesus Christ as Savior, which will persist on into eternity because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I read a verse in the Old Testament in Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6. For I... The Lord, do not change. 
Therefore, you see, based on the unchangeableness of God, based on the immutability of God, he has a therefore. He's coming to an application. Based on the fact that I don't change, therefore you. In that case, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. (laughs) And I think we can substitute this. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O church, (laughs) will not be consumed. Don't you see? It's all a function of the immutable character, the unchangeable nature of God. So then, based upon the unchangeableness of God and his promises, you can and I can be sure of this. Apart from Jesus Christ, a person will be judged. In Christ, a person will be saved. This is the ramification, the practical ramification of the unchangeableness of God. The omniscient God will never become the God who doesn't know all about you. The omnipotent God will never become the God who is unable to help you. The omnipresent God will never become the God whom you can no longer find. The God who is love will never become hateful towards you. The God who is holy will never take delight in sin. The God of mercy will never take revenge on you. The God who has adopted you once and forevermore into his family will never leave you or forsake you. So I know this sounds a little theological tonight, but it is not just academic. Because God doesn't change, though everything else does, including us, he's a rock of assurance and stability and safety. For Nothing takes him by surprise. He's not subject to change. And so... I love this verse in James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from Baybrook Mall. No, 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 no. It's from above. Don't you get it? Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down, what a wonderful description. Coming down from the Father of lights. What are lights? Sun, moon, and stars. God is described as the father, author, creator of all those. Coming down from the father of lights with whom, it says, there is no variation or shifting shadow. The sun, the moon, the stars, sources of light. They, they, they eclipse, they, they, they turn, they, they, they rotate, they, they come up, they go down, they cast shadows. But our God, the one who saved us, Uh, Referred to here as the father of all these lights. He never comes up, goes down, varies. There is no, 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 no whimsy with him. He never shifts. He never changes. And so therefore your hope is to be based upon the unchangeable personhood of your savior. Your eternal security is to be based on the unchangeable promises of your savior. Your redemption is to be based on the unchangeable purposes of your savior. You see it? Stop looking at you and me. (laughs) Look to the foundation stone who is almighty God. It's his character and perfections that give us peace and safety and security. We are impoverished ones. Let's just face it. No good thing dwells in us. Well, let me close tonight by sharing with you a story. It's a true story about an intensely sorrowful man. And it's recorded for us down to this very day in Psalm 102. I invite you to turn there. Psalm 102. You have to ache even as you read uh, the few verses I want to share with you from that psalm now. A man in deep pain, intense pain, despair, 
is talking to God. He's praying to God. And we could today hear what he said to God uh, uh, by reading it, beginning in, in verse 3. Psalm 102, beginning in verse 3. Here are his words to Almighty God. My days, he said, have been consumed in smoke. My bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Have you ever been so depressed and so empty? You can't even, you can't even do the basic things of life, eating, so on. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican in the wilderness. I have become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake, sleep disturbance. You have any of that? Yeah. I lie awake, I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. Intense pain, intense despair. But then he says this, would you skip with me to his concluding words to God, beginning in verse 25. Of old, he says to God, you created earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you will endure and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be changed, but you will are the same and your years will not come to an end. He's facing devastating changes in his life. He takes comfort in the unchangeableness of Almighty God. <clears throat> you see how good it is that Jesus is our rock. So my fellow followers of the Lord Jesus, now more than ever, you and I, we really have to put our feet upon the rock. Jesus Christ is our one and only, really, rock of stability. He and he alone does not change. He will never be wiser than he presently is. He'll never be more loving than he is to you right now. He'll never be more powerful. He'll never be holier than he is, always has been and evermore shall be. He, the Lord Jesus, is your rock, my rock. He can be counted on. He's the only one who really can. That's why the words of this song just pop in my mind on Christ the solid rock. We must stand. Why? Because all other ground is sinking sand. Would you dare to sing it with me as a rededication <laughs> to the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just to sing it. In fact, I would encourage you just to listen to the words. Don't utter them unless it's a renewed commitment to take a stand on the Lord Jesus, who is the solid rock. If so, sing with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Lord Jesus, uh, that's our prayer of commitment. As the sorrowful man in Psalm 102, so too we end our time tonight reflecting on your wonderful unchangeable character we stand on you Lord Jesus your personhood your purposes your promises all of which are unalterably 
consistent and constant. Thank you in this whirlwind of change which stresses us out and shakes us up and makes us irritable, moody, sleepless, affects us in every way. We must run as did the man in Psalm 102 to you, Lord Jesus, and take our stand on you, a solid rock. For all other ground is indeed sinking sand. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're a savior from sin and even from the changeableness of life until the time when it's all over (laughs) and we are in the constant presence of the constant Savior who saved us once and for all. Your immutability makes us a hopeful people, Lord Jesus. When we look to ourselves, we lose hope. When we look to you, oh, we delight our Dad is great. Our dad is good. Our dad loves us and has established an irreversible connection with us by our faith and our big brother Jesus. And nothing, no created thing can ever change that. Oh God, we feel safe and secure, surrounded by your unchangeable nature. And we pray to you, our constantly available Father, in Jesus' name, amen.